I don't know. I just think it's a, the best time ever for us to all learn how we can help each other in a more natural way. And there's not a lot of people that speak about this publicly about natural cancer care and all those things. So I think it's just an important topic. I want to like use like iodine, all those things. I just, I've never done it before. So I feel overwhelmed sometimes on like how to do it. And I, I think I just need to, I think your website probably has a lot of information I could read. Yes. And you need to do it yourself, but you learn, that's how you learn. And then it becomes natural to when you need it to employ it with the children. Hey everyone, welcome to Lauren.Live, the spirituality, health, and lifestyle podcast. I've got a very special guest with me, Dr. Mark Circus. How are you doing, Mark? Very good, actually. Good. So, um, Dr. Circus is joining us from Brazil, so uh, quite a ways away from from where I'm at, which is really awesome to be connected. And uh, we've got some really cool stuff to talk about today. Some of it's controversial. I, I obviously don't think it is, but others may. Um, he is a doctor. Uh, he works in the medical and health field. He's an acupuncturist, doctor of oriental and pastoral medicine, natural allopathic doctor. He treats disease and cancer in a natural way. Um, he's also got some spirituality background that we'll talk about, which you all know is very important to me. And he's also the author of 22 books. So he's got lots of wisdom to share with us. And I had heard uh, you on a podcast years ago, and I, I flagged your name. And so I'm really excited that we're connected today. So thank you for being here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So why don't you give us a background on who you are, your medical background, how'd you get into the field, and then did mm. you kind of switch once you were in to more of the, you know, you were in the Western, and did you switch in your career into becoming more natural, or did you start out in the natural field? Started out, started out natural. Okay. Um, I'm 90, 90% natural, and now because I've added chlorine dioxide, I have to say semi-natural. I consider chlorine dioxide semi-natural. You're making me go back 40 years. I guess my big start was at the University of the Trees in Boulder Creek, California, with Dr. Christopher Hills, who was the gentleman who brought spirulina to the world. And uh, he, he saved my soul, for sure. And uh, I was a really arrogant a person, totally in my head. Though so after a few weeks of arriving as a community, somebody turned to me and said, oh, you have a big heart. And I turned around to look behind me to see what they were talking about, because I really didn't understand. Anyway, there I became a communication psychologist. And as such a listening psychologist, I have the only paper called Listening Psychology. And I learned uh, color, or what in the Harvard University is called perceptual psychology. And from there, I went to acupuncture school. And from acupuncture school, I went to New Hampshire to open up two offices. And then the medical board went after me and kicked me out of the state, not without a fight, but I lost. And... Uh, for quite a few years, and before I left for Brazil 31 years ago, I was kind of lost in America. Um, 
I was like a fish out of water in the States. Never really found my place. That's why I guess God sent me here. Now I have six kids, six Brazilian kids, a beautiful Brazilian wife. And uh, big, before I left the States, I guess one of the things that affected me or my career path profoundly was I started doing some therapy with women who had been abused or raped, especially in, when they were younger. And I developed uh, what I called hypnotrance therapy. I would send them into a trance, but I'd close my eyes, listen to my own self, the directions, and I'd go into a trance with them. So I would kind of unite in my heart and imagination with their heart and imagination. And that really affected me, really affected me. And as such, at that part of my life, I had really developed my feminine side before I developed my masculine side. And um, I was married at that time for the third time, and my wife abandoned me for this really ugly musician. And after about six months of suffering like a dog and getting better, one day she came over and we made love, and the next morning my heart was just bleeding again. And I prayed with all my heart, everything I had, for a new life. And about three hours later, I went over to a friend's house to smoke a cigarette. And I didn't even smoke cigarettes. And I sat down and it wasn't a minute. This woman came running in like a tornado, screaming about Alto Paraíso, high paradise in Brazil, where she and a group of people had bought a piece of land. And my skin actually goosebumps. And um, I said, I actually cursed inside. I said, my God, God is put, speaking to me in English, answering my prayer and putting his finger on the map exactly where my new life was waiting for me. And I didn't doubt for a second. I came here and I haven't been back to the States in 27 years. Wow. And I wouldn't even go back next lifetime either. I'm, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> you're done. <laughs> and you're from I'm, the I'm East done. Coast, right? Obviously your accent. Yeah, New York. New York, yeah. New York. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. And, um, well, I started right when my uh, daughter, my first daughter was born 27 years ago. I, I started writing two books at the same time. One was called The Marriage of the Souls, and the subtitle is The Second Coming of Pure Love. And the other one was heart health. And they were very related. And heart health wasn't so much about the physical pump, but about the spiritual heart. And I think my, my basic contribution to spiritual history was how I defined the heart in a very solid way. I defined the heart as the vulnerability of being being. And so it was a psychology about feelings and emotions as opposed to the head. And my biggest conquest in life was through the help of all the teachings of Christopher Hills and meditating at that point for 20 years, I was able to throw down my big, big head and let my heart take over my life. And 
Well, that led me to all kinds of nice places. The Marriage of Souls was Christopher Hill's work, this, this process called Creative Conflict. It's the only thing you can find on the internet because nobody wants to do it because the first step in the process in your front of a group is to prove that you're listening, which makes you, your ego naked right from the first second. So my book was about, he tried to do create group, group consciousness with 40 people. My book was about uh, group consciousness in, in small family life. And, um, and I saw my relationship with my wife started when I was married to another Brazilian lady and there was the three of us for a year or something, didn't work. Now I've been monogamous for 25 years, but the book was about really about groups, group marriage. But I applied the teachings to my monogamous relationship. And I, one of the chapters I had was divine romance, which I defined as a love, uh, a passion that comes in like this, the uh, tide, but never goes out. And I impregnated my genetics with these basic teachings of vulnerability, of pure love, divine romance. And after 25 years, I have that with my wife, which is, well, it's like a rock in my life or it's like God in my life. It's just constant, you know, the two main pillars of my life that keeps me sane in these insane times. I, I write about it, and so my, I, I bathe myself in all the, uh, my internet, I think our internet's going down a little bit, so I'm shutting off my sure. phone. Yeah. Okay. So, um, where was I? Oh, so the two big pillars of my life is my meditation, in which I'm able to get rid of my body, my mind, my emotions, even my imagination and just sit in the stillness of pure consciousness. And love I have with my wife is the same. It's just a constant 24-7. And it, it, we didn't arrive here easily. I mean, we had, she was very strong and very strong. We had a lot of conflicts. But with this creative conflict process, we worked out all the conflicts. So... Um, Moving up, it's still, in terms of my life and my work, I was still kind of lost until 18 years ago when my third child was born. I have six. And uh, we were living in the northeast coast of Brazil. And I, as soon as he was born, the day we, we, he was born in a hospital that only did natural birth, it was so fantastic. Of course, we refused the vaccines. And the day I came home, I started researching about vaccines because we were living in a beach town and I wanted to know what was the story. And I wrote a book in two months. And the original title was called Cry of the Heart because I cried every day writing it. And then I changed the title to The Terror of Pediatric Medicine. And back in those days, I coined the term pharmaceutical terrorism, which is, of course, everybody's having to live through now. 
and basically became an expert on back about vaccines and of course not to take them. And uh, that's that just kind of launched me back into the world on an international level. And then I went from that book, thank God the universe rescued me because you could go down a rap real deep hole with a vaccine question. And I'm sure everybody can see why now. And I discovered magnesium oil and wrote a book called Transdermal Magnesium Therapy. Became the magnesium man, and that really put me on the map of the world. And but then instead of just gravitating to that subject, then crashed on me this whole thing about sodium bicarbonate. I became the only doctor in the world to write a book on bicarbonates, and still the only book, the only medical book. And it went from that then to, to, to iodine and to selenium, then writing about cancer. I have the most sophisticated cancer course in the world. It's used in the university and it's online, but it's also used in a university in Europe in a, a doctoral program for naturopathic doctors. And, uh, basically specialized in putting a, a whole protocol together with a country and the name of the first name of my bicarbonate book was rich man's poor man's cancer treatment. Nothing is cheaper than bicarbonate. And uh, for many years, I've been doing consultations online about this. And, uh, I had my own health problem. I'm 69. I've had my own health problems these years. Since I was 60, I almost died when I was 61. So a lot of me, my research was driven by the, my own need to find the most powerful things for my own health. And I did. <laughs> I think I look 20 years younger than I did even three, four years ago. And, uh, coming up to the very present time, you know, when the, this whole COVID thing started for the first year and a half, I wrote, my God, 50, 60, 70 articles about this. And in January of this year, I got COVID. And I wrote an essay called 11 Days in Omicron Hell. I threw the book, I threw the kitchen sink at it. And uh, I didn't even go to the hospital but I couldn't get out of it either. And then two angels showed up at my door and brought me uh, a little bottle of chlorine dioxide, which many people know as MMS, except chlorine dioxide, the form I got it in was called CDS, which is a pure gas, chlorine dioxide gas and dissolved in water. And in one day, I, it's like I was down at the bottom of a well and I felt like I was being pulled up. And by the second day, I was out, out of it. And this is interesting because 11 years ago, I'm, I went on record against chlorine dioxide for several reasons. I was writing a book on iodine at the time and I thought iodine 
which the body needs is better than something that wasn't quite natural to the body. Little did I know. And so when I just rediscovered this in the end of January, let's just say I'm making up for lost time. I'm kind of leading the charge up the hill about it, writing a book about it. I wrote an essay about a month ago called The Tiger Tank of Modern Medicine. And I had to admit, or I had to put it first in my protocol and behind it, bicarbonate and magnesium, and then iodine, selenium, and oxygen, and hydrogen. I'm very big into hydrogen medicine. It's My most recent book was called Hydrogen Medicine, combining oxygen with um, hydrogen and carbon dioxide. Of course, I am the world's expert on bicarbonate or CO2 medicine because bicarbonate and CO2 are really like twin sisters in the blood. So it's been, it was a whole renovation of my consciousness falling into another deep mission about this chlorine dioxide. And, um, well, it's been exciting. It's been exciting, (laughs) to say the least. Sounds like it. Wow. Where do I go from here? (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, I've heard, you know, some of these things, a little bit about iodine and different treatments, natural treatments. I'm, you know, I'm on this cusp personally where I'm, I've used, you know, Western modern medicine my whole life. Sometimes it's worked. Sometimes it hasn't. I have issues with it myself, big pharma, all the things. Um, I, I really started seeing a holistic doctor. I really like that approach. But, you know, of course, I admit my own self, like a lot of us, we've just been trained to think that Western medicine is just the way. And if you have an issue, you take the drug, the doctor's right, end of story. But also I look at history, natural medicine, shamans, Chinese medicine, that stuff was around before big pharma and people treated one another. And there's just so much when you really dive deep into it and you know, that's just too much to get into, but um, I myself see myself breaking away from what I feel is like an imprisonment of big pharma, you know, vaccines and all those things. I've really changed a lot of my mind on that stuff. And I guess my question to you is why are people so afraid of natural remedies? Why are doctors afraid to use them when you've shown and other people have shown that they do work? I mean, you've treated tons of people with cancer without using chemo, why is this such a secret or a taboo? I mean, I understand it's mostly probably follow the money, right? Chemotherapy, you know, collects a lot of money in hospitals. But besides the money, just why are doctors and people so afraid to look other ways that aren't so harmful on the body? I'd love if you could also, I know I'm asking you two questions, but at the tail end, could you also just talk about, there's just, chemo does such harm to our bodies too. Yes, it may kill cancer, but it's also killing off a lot of other important things in our immune systems. Mm-hmm. Why are we doing that to ourselves? There's got to be a better way, as yeah. you've discovered. Well, I'm totally for chemotherapy, but natural chemotherapy. Right, right. <laughs> um, but today, I mean, it's been very obvious that doctors are totally afraid of losing their license mm-hmm. and losing their income. Because if they step out of line, 
and do something that's not sanctioned by the mainstream, the medical boards go after them. And some doctors lose their lives if they step too far out of line and start promoting things that they shouldn't. Uh, what I'm, I'm, the name of my uh, system of medicine is called natural allopathic. And the reason I came up with that name is I'm at, a lot of my medicine is actually allopathic. It is actually mainstream, except they won't talk about it. I basically stole into the ICU units of the world and stole their best medicines, mm -hmm. which happen to be natural. For instance, magnesium. If you're in a really good hospital, a really good doctor, and you're having a heart attack, and they try all the pharmaceuticals, none of them work, and the patient is dying, so they have nothing to lose, what, are they, what does a good doctor do? He injects magnesium, and it works. Sodium bicarbonate has been used in ambulances, emergency rooms, and intensive care units forever. Forever. Do they talk about it? No. Many forms, I'm not sure about today, but in the old days, the chemo, the mustard derived from mustard gas was so toxic that they would give bicarbonate at the same time so the patient wouldn't drop dead like they do with these COVID vaccines. And what is it, by the way? But can you break it down? Like, like I don't really know what biocarbonate, what is that? What? Sodium bicarbonate? Baking yeah. soda. Baking soda. That's baking. what I thought. Okay. Okay. Baking soda. It is one of the, it's the cheapest, safest, and one of the most powerful medicines in the world. Hmm. And again, like magnesium with a heart attack, if your blood is turning acid, which means you're basically dying, either IV of sodium bicarbonate, well, it's usually IV. Very rarely is it injected will save you in, in, you know, in minutes. Well, people, it's been used when, you know, when people are minutes away from death. Hmm. And these medicines bring people back in ICU, in the emergency room. Hmm. So, yes, you could say natural medicine, but because natural medicine has a connotation, you think about um, Chinese medicine, 5,000 years, medicine, Native American medicine, but my approach is a really, it cuts down the middle between the two worlds. I is used by, you know, by the gallon. You can't even have a hospital without having iodine, though they don't know how to use it, you know, for healing. Uh, well, they use it for wounds and things like that. Oxygen. I have a book called anti-inflammatory oxygen therapy. Oxygen is the most prescribed drug in the world. Mm -hmm. So doing these things, it's, yes, it's, nat it's natural because bicarbonate is, you know, it's a food. That's why you can buy it in the supermarket. Mm -hmm. Arm and Hammer's baking soda is sold as a food. And because, why? Because the stomach makes it, the pancreas makes it, and the kidneys make it. 
So it's something natural to the body. Magnesium, of course, is not, you know, is a nutritional item. Though I make a very stark difference between supplementation and using natural substances as medicines. It has to do with the dose. In, in regular medicine, it's 400 years they've been, this philosophy, the dose makes the poison. And they define everything as a poison, including water, because you can drown in it. But in natural medicine, the dose makes the medicine. Meaning you have to get the doses up high enough to get the full therapeutic effect. So it's, I've been an innovator in really, and I guess it's because of my relationship with God, my dedication to truth and following it, wherever my, it leads me. And with the help of my wife, who convinced me 10 years ago to write my book, uh, Treatment Essentials, which I put all my different things into a protocol. Now, a month ago, she said, you can't call your, when I got chlorine dioxide, you can't call yourself your medicine protocol. It's a system of medicine. So she's helped me at very key moments, you know, push me in certain directions. Mm-hmm. And um, the most difficult challenge of my, of this whole process has been when I discovered this chlorine dioxide and fitting that into my protocol as the lead tiger tank, the lead item, the thing to go for first. And then of course, the book is gonna be about combining chlorine dioxide with uh, bicarbonates and magnesium. Those three, like the three lead tiger tanks. I like to use military mm-hmm. imagery in my, in my medicine. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm at now. I'm writing like crazy, publishing. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, yes, yesterday, for yesterday, I published a, uh, an article about snake venom enzymes, pharmaceutical snake venom enzymes, and lo and behold, lo and behold, we discovered that one. A lot of drugs have snake venom in them, and I, right from the first paragraph, I paste a link of all the drugs that have uh, built a model that have snake venom. But basically, discovered that this gain of res- gain of function research that the Republicans are trying to nail um, uh, Fauci to the cross with. Which he of course denies and lies about it. Um, you know, people. There was no denying that this. You know, these laboratories exist around the world. There's a, a lab in Wuhan, and they're doing gain of function research, which means it's insane. Like uh, Frankenstein, trying to make viruses worse, make them more viral, and kill kill more people. That they were actually spending billions to do this. Well, it just came out very strongly that what the basic research was was to marry the coronavirus of a bat, which are normally not that aggressive, the common cold, you know, get the flu, 
marry that to the genetic code for snake venom. So the coronavirus, despite proteins, are genetically engineered to basically function like venom. Hmm. And then, then and I can hardly pronounce it, uh, they give everybody when they go to the hospital with COVID, Vendenazir. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'm saying that right in English. Remdesivir, you know, I can't say it either, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot, of, a lot of people go to the hospital and just die. Mm-hmm. They're definitely treated wrong. And with this drug that a scientists at the University of Arizona studied the blood of 150 patients from ICU units in New York and found absurd amounts of an enzyme that is basically almost exactly like snake venom. Hmm. And then, of course, then and that came out, and then they came out with the vaccines in record-breaking time. They were all ready for this and telling the body to produce spike proteins with the same configuration. Mm-hmm. So this whole COVID thing is really a massive program to poison as many people as possible, as many people as possible. And uh, this, I, I put together like a lawyer would in front of a jury, just a whole, and people, and organizations like Scientific America and the Boston Globe. In January of 2020, the first month, the first month, uh, even before they declared the pandemic, were already publishing about snakes. Mm. So there's a history from the very beginning. It's not like I just made this up or the people who, who really motivated me to, to get into this. Um, and it just so happened, it just so happens at the very end of this essay, I present the, uh, a patent by Dr. Andreas Klauker, who's one of the big proponents of fluorine dioxide, he happens to have a patent to use chlorine dioxide as an anti-venom. So chlorine dioxide has been the prime, you know, it's the first thing people, even, um, you know, when I, when I went down with COVID, the first three or four days, I did ivermectin. I, maybe I could say it kept me out of the hospital. I don't know. But I went down the tubes and stayed at the bottom of the well. Mm. I was suffering in misery. Chlorine dioxide, basically people who, who I've taught, I, I started taking it after 11 days of being in hell. But I heard from the people who gave it to me that when they got COVID, first day they take the chlorine dioxide and bang, they get out of it. So, of course, I have essays on using chlorine dioxide for COVID. Um, this Dr. Andreas Klauker, he was in Bolivia when this was all going on. And a lot of the politicians there got very sick. And he gave the chlorine dioxide to all of them. And they all got better. And then they passed a law making it legal. Where everywhere else in the world, it's illegal to... To, to, to use it as a medicine to cure anything. Mm. 
And there are people in jail who promoted it that way, and they're rotting in jail. Mm. What, uh, so, so. what else can it be used for for treatments besides the COVID? Cancer. Yeah. Okay. But I I talked two days ago to the daughter of a man, the first man who discovered that chlorine dioxide had medical uses. And he was written up in, by NASA. I guess it was 19, I'd have to look, I think it was 1978. And NASA, and I, <laughs> I've been to the NASA site and downloaded a PDF from NASA from 1978. And they call it the universal antidote. And they talked about this woman's father and he had a company, started a company and one of the first big uses was veterinarian where uh, for cows, mastitis, I guess it's called. And um, definitely cured the mastitis. They started investigating its use as a, a mouthwash hmm. and they made tooth, toothpaste with it and used it for skin disease, sexually transmitted disease. Hmm. Um, so it sounds like it would be effective with viral and bacterial issues. Viral, bacterial, and fungus. Yeah, that's really cool. Wow. Now, they can't ban it totally because it's been used for deaths Mm -hmm. in the water water treatment industry. Mm. It's the best treatment for water because it kills everything Mm. without having any kind of toxicity to it. Right. And it also disappears very quickly. You know, you put chlorine in a pool and a day under the sun, most of it evaporates. Mm -hmm. You drink chlorine dioxide and within an hour it's gone Mm. inside your blood. You just, it's like like, uh, suicide bombers. (laughs) They sacrifice themselves to give the positive effect. So it was used in the water industry. Campers have been using it for decades. You drop a little bit of pill in the water and it purifies your water and mm-hmm. you can drink it. Interesting. Um, use all kinds of things. I mean, in the food industry, food packing, mm-hmm. uh, cleaning cooling towers. Um, every, back in 1978, they were using it to clean air conditioning car units. So it, it, it does a fantastic job. Sure. Dent, dentists are using it. Hmm. I wrote an essay last week, you know, about dental using it, but hyphen, don't swallow. Mm-hmm. Because if you swallow it, then the FDA is going to come out after you with a, with a SWAT team. Yeah. Well, I guess, so here's my question. Like, it sounds great. We've used it for years. We use things like iodine. We use all these things, right? Even like ivermectin, maybe not always working for everybody for COVID, but it's been used for things in animals and humans. We know this, it's been around. There's all these drugs. So what's the issue? I guess I don't know enough about the money aspect of pharmaceutical. If these things are working, then, I mean, I guess this goes down the rabbit hole of controversy, you know, controversial, like then you're not going to have a sick enough patient and they can't go on the ventilator and then they don't make as much money, but they could still make some money off of these things. Why don't they just use them? Is it because it's, it'll treat the patient too soon and then they don't make as much money as they would have using other things that keep people sick longer? Well, you know, if, if you can imagine, um, 
going into a place where there's a group of terrorists totally armed and totally mad and ready to kill anybody, you wouldn't expect them to put down their weapons and start preaching love and peace. They're terrorists. Pharmaceutical companies are terrorist organizations. Maybe not all of them, but the big ones, yes. Pfizer, for sure. Moderna, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the IG Farben, which is the mother of all pharmaceuticals, goes back to Hitler. They, they, they really supported Hitler financially. They built one of the Auschwitz concentration camp. They enjoyed experimenting on the inmates. These people, like we see today, the, there were no words to describe. Better off we had Martians invading us than our own people being so demonic, so evil. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to the heart of modern medicine is, is dominated by pharmaceutical interests. Of course, they dominate the medical schools and what they teach the, student, the, the students, dominate the medical boards, dominate FDA, CDC, NIH. Mm-hmm. It's a philosophy. And it's a philosophy of making as much money as possible and hurting as much as possible. Yeah. The bottom line, which is what we see with covid it's what we see with Pfizer and Moderna. It's it's a horror story. It's hard, it's a horror you know. Show. It's hard to believe that humans, again, like you said, it doesn't mean all doctors. It doesn't mean everyone working for the pharmaceutical. It doesn't mean everyone. Never saying everyone, everything. It's never like that. But it's hard to believe that people could let things like this happen. And I guess I'm trying to give people grace that maybe haven't woken up to some of these truths. But it's like. I think everyone just assumes the best. Like FDA wants the best for us. CDC wants the best for us. I used to always think that too. But then when you do the research yourself, that's why I always say on the show, don't listen just to Dr. Circus. Don't listen to just me. Do your own research, just like you've done your own research and I've done my own research. You start to figure things out if you actually look. And I think a lot of people don't look. They just look to the CDC. Well, you should look further into things and history, like you said. I mean, if you know anything about, I think, I don't know if it was the Rockefeller uh, family, this goes way back, but things with like petroleum, they realized that was something that could make a lot of money and changed the pharmaceutical world for the worse, in my opinion. That stuff wasn't exactly. around that long ago, and people were using natural medicine. Doctors were using, it's not even natural medicine, it's normal stuff that cures us. And then the pharmaceutical you know, was created. So do your own research. Don't just listen to us. That's the thing. This isn't conspiracy. Literally, if you do the research, you will see in history when things started, industrial revolution, <laughs> money starts to follow, people start getting sick, look at the whole opioid and the pan, you know, this horrible thing with uh, painkillers and how it's making people so sick. This isn't a secret. So I think I'm just so, it's so interesting to me, all the censorship and canceling and, you know, people like do your own research. It's known that drugs cause problems. And obviously, if you're going to take too much iodine or too much of anything, it's not good for you. You have to, like you said, it's all about dosing and correct therapies for your body. But I guess it's just not that controversial to me because look back in history and do your own research and you will see the flaws. And yes, some modern medicine, of course, it helps people. It can help cure people. I think for surgery and other things, it's fantastic. For chronic illness, not so much. But uh, 
just listening to you and everything you're talking about, it just, it is, it's a horror story. And I can't believe more people, you know, talk about a crime against humanity. Just all the drugs being pumped, our poor organs, and we, we can't take that. And it's just, it's awful. And so I, I guess I'm just really happy to talk to people like you that are looking outside of the mainstream narrative. And, you know, we all get slaps on the wrist and there's repercussions, but I also feel in, in positive note that more people are speaking out, more doctors are speaking out, more people are doing their own research, turning to natural medicine. There are a lot of people waking up and there's a lot of positivity coming out of all this stuff. So on a positive note, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, the people who've been trusting doctors, how many billion people took this vaccine? I know. Over 3 billion, I think it's, I don't know, approaching 4 billion people. And they're paying the price. They're paying the price for being totally naive and not being, I mean, it's not really their fault because they've been hypnotized. Propaganda has been in front of everybody's face for decades and getting worse the last 20 years and television yeah. commercials I think doctors too and, like are doing their best in some not to give them the full like it's not an excuse but they're trained a certain way they're, they haven't been trained yeah. to look another way so of course they're going to say something and again I I'm not pointing fingers and saying doctors are bad I just in my own even experience this is the thing I think people just need to ask questions like I'm encouraging everyone please do your own research I asked my daughter's um, physician, I was going through the list of vaccines and there were so many, I just weren't comfortable giving her. And I asked her, I just said, I think it, I don't know if it's like rotavirus, there's like a stomach virus, one of them. And I, I asked her about it. I said, let's just talk through all of them. Like I'm open. If, if there's a major threat, like I might do it for her. Tell me when's the last time you saw a patient with this? And she said, it's been about 40 years since I was in uh, my residency program that I've seen anyone with this. Why would I give my daughter a vaccine for something that's not even around? Like it just, it blows my mind that people don't ask questions. They just do it. You just put a neurotoxin in your body without even doing research. So ask questions because a lot of people don't know that kind of stuff. They just do it. So. Well, they made, they, you know, for decades, they made vaccines into the Holy Grail. When I did my research on vaccines in this book, The Terror of Pediatric Medicine, and when I realized that they were injecting babies, and the first day they come to this planet, the first day with the hep hepatitis yep. B vaccine, I know. full of mercury, it was only in 1999, they took the mercury out of that vaccine in the United States and Brazil, it's still there. They would clobber these kids, babies, infants, mm -hmm. with a vaccine for a disease, just like you just mentioned, hepatitis B. They're not going to have, babies are not going to have sex. <laughs> That's what I said. I said, we don't have it because when you're pregnant, you get an STD panel. So I knew I didn't have it. I know my husband doesn't have it. She doesn't have it. She's not going to get a tattoo. She's obviously not sexually active. How would she possibly get it? She's not going to get it. Why would I give her the vaccine on day one? Like, I literally, exactly. I don't understand. It's well, the, it's, the understanding is that's how evil and vicious they are. They go after babies. It's horrible. Babies. It's horrible. 
babies. Yeah. That's why the original title was Cry of the Heart. I cried every day writing that book. Yeah. Every day listening to parents talking about their kids going down into autism or dying after being vaccinated. Yeah. Of course, now with COVID, it's much worse. I think a lot of people, though, you know, they say the whole thing like, well, look at all that. Like me. I mean, I got them all. I was a child of the 80s. I got all the vaccines, right? Uh, most people know this. No, don't know this, by the way. I learned this from Robert Kennedy Jr., which I think is an amazing whistleblower. You know, there were three vaccines that our parents had, basically, in the 60s, 50s, 60s. Now there's 74 on the schedule. One, zero, you know, day hmm. zero to 18, 74 shots. If that isn't alarming to you, I don't know what is. Again, just basics of like, look at the, the rate of autism from like our generation to our parents, to our children. Like what changed? That's a huge change. Do the research yourself, but 74 shots, that's insanity. Chicken pox. We all had chicken pox as kids. We're fine. Why is there a vaccine for it? Like it's just never ending. And so I think, here's my question to you really quick. I know we're going down a rabbit hole and I do want to, before we have to wrap up, I want to ask some preventative questions, but this is something I think for parents, because I struggle, there's a risk either way you feel sometimes. Like if you don't give them something, they might get something. If they get it, they might get sick from the vaccine. But for the hepatitis shots, like B obviously is rare for a child if they're not sexually active, obviously, or other things. But when A and C come in, I don't even really know. I think there's a shot for C. What about when you know start traveling with a child and you can get hepatitis from like food or water. I know it's rare, but it's possible. Do you have, is it safer to give when they're older, like a vaccine for that? If you're traveling on the world, like what are your thoughts on that? If you want to be healthy, stay healthy and happy, no vaccines. Okay. So what do you do if you're traveling around the world or the things you can keep with you if you were to get contaminated with like a hepatitis or... Well, that's a deep question because, you know, right now there's a whole new epidemic starting of hepatitis mm. without the hepatitis virus. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> from the vaccine, obviously, but they don't, you know, like the global warming people, they won't even think about changing their mind until it starts snowing in Miami. Mm -hmm. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. Um, well, it. Outside of the spiritual aspects, the thing like antibiotics, what I used for my kids was iodine instead of when they got sick, which they very rarely, really rarely did. Mm -hmm. You have iodine. And I'm not even talking preventative. I'm talking about when somebody or kid gets starts getting sick, you go for the, the natural or, or these emergency room medicines. You give them the bicarbonate, you give them the magnesium, you give them iodine. And now we have chlorine dioxide, which is like a slam dunk. Mm -hmm. So we have medicines that help. They don't hurt. Mm -hmm. Where this whole thing about vaccines is based on fear. And it's based on basic deception, too. Because what is the whole field of virology? What's the original Latin? What's the meaning of a virus? In Latin, it's poison and venom. You go back far enough, and it's really, you know, a lot of naturopathic doctors through the years, including myself, saw the flu as a toxic waste dump. Why do people? some people die from the flu? It's a very interesting question. It's not the virus. The virus 
can be seen as not something that they want you to see it as, but as a, you know, they're little tiny proteins that come from toxic environments. So it's, um, well, it's a huge ripoff. It's a real, yeah. and, and we see this totally with COVID. They talk, just hurting. It didn't help at all. It didn't help at all. It didn't stop COVID, didn't stop people from going to the hospital. Now vaccinated by at much higher rates than the unvaccinated. It doesn't matter what they say in the mainstream, or what they don't say, because if you're listening to the mainstream, it's just propaganda. It's just a mainstream narrative. It's all bought and paid for. You know, it's, it's who you trust makes can be life and death. Yeah. Who you trust. So how do you uh, like, how do you know if you want to give your kid iodine? How do you do you find like a homeopathic doctor for the dosing? Like how would I know what to do for my family? Well, I always remember when my daughter was three and she got sick. I gave her 15 drops of iodine and she came right out of it. At once or spread out? No, at once. Okay. If you go back in the history, you've got to study and read about iodine. If you go back, I talked to a doctor a couple of weeks ago and he's, I forgot what disease he was talking about, but he said he could legally legally in modern medicine give a gram a gram mm. as as a medicine in the old days if you got syphilis say 100 years ago before the age of antibiotics they maybe give you three grams of iodine mm. wow so, so it's really hard to hurt somebody with iodine mm -hmm. it's if of course if you have a thyroid condition it gets things get complicated when you get older but uh, i have essays about this you know what to do what what to do in the first if you start getting sniffles and you start that first feeling and not feeling right what do you do right then there are things you can do including some spiritual practice of breathing and breathing in light energy into the body, it helps. They always work for me. Mm -hmm. So you have to get educated. But in in a one semester course for high school students or college students, you can teach people, young and old, to be better doctors than the doctors. Mm -hmm. That's my basic. It's really simple. It's embarrassingly simple. Yeah. It you know. Obviously, there were a lot of things people died from back in the day that we could, you know, people got like a toothache, they could die back in the old, you know, old days. But then you also have to look, like you said, there were a lot of treatments they used that did work, like iodine. So going back to the roots and looking what did work, we could still use today. So, yeah, nature is medicine, spirituality, balance. I think, you know, what I think is the biggest one of the biggest flaws of all this stuff that's going on, not just COVID, but chronic illness. So we don't talk enough about preventative. So many people die from these flus and COVID because they're already so sick and they have comorbidities. We know this statistically. People get hit harder when there's other issues. I'm a big fan of medical medium. He talks a lot about all the pathogens and viruses inside and why a lot of us are sick, chronic fatigue, all these things, because we have viruses inside our body. And if you're not 
healthy, you're going to feel sick and you're going to get things easier. So, I mean, this is something it's a bigger, the thing is it's not a fast fix and that's why it doesn't sell and people don't want to deal with it, right? Shifting your diet, getting more sleep, breathing, exercise, getting vitamin D from the sun, all those things. It takes time and effort. And a lot of people don't want to do that, but preventative care, we need to be talking more about that. So as we close, what are a few things just daily that people could do to improve their health? I've heard you say a couple of times, breathing. Well, breathing is very important because everybody's breathing too fast. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as life has speeded up and anxiety levels have gone up and people are breathing too fast and that you breathe that too much CO2 drives oxygen delivery down. Um, my, my big things I do daily is I practice slow breathe for 10, 15 minutes a day, and I've been doing that for nine, eight years. I take bicarbonate every day, a, a combination of sodium bicarbonate, potassium bicarbonate. Now, these past two and a half months, I'm doing chlorine dioxide, not every day, but when I do it, I take very high dosages. Magnesium, 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 magnesium. It's just... You know, it's involved in, it, you know, there's no life without magnesium. No life on the planet, mm-hmm. no plants, no, no food. Magnesium is the center of everything. So lots, lots of magnesium, iodine, of course. These things are all preventative or you could look at it as an ultimate anti-aging program. Mm-hmm. When I started doing hydrogen inhalation, you know, my wife showed me a picture of me from eight years ago or seven years ago. I look 20 years older than I do now. Wow. So anti-aging, preventative, or treating. If you're using the right thing for any of those purposes, you're going to do good. Mm-hmm. You're going to do good. Okay. Not perfect. You know, accidents happen. I got... I got the COVID, right. but my, my daughter, who was traveling, came home with it. She was diagnosed with it, Yep. whatever that means, and since I don't know, trust we got the it test. Too. Everyone's so different. That's what's interesting, too. Like, my family got it, and we it was, like, not that big of a deal. Like, four days, totally fine. Not fun, but, like, we were fine. Like, functioned, like, not even bedridden. Mm-hmm. Like, we were okay. It was, like, a cold. So it's interesting how each person can, you know, experience it differently. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Well, I mean, we could talk forever, rabbit holes, all the things, but I, I do appreciate your time. I appreciate your work, your voice. I know it's not easy. You know, even me as a host, sometimes it feels not easy and I get nervous putting certain things out there just because of the way this world is with the canceling and all that thing. But I just think it's important for people to hear other perspectives, even. Even if you don't agree with it, just listen to other perspectives. That's why. You know, I've, how I've learned all these different interesting things. You just not, you know, one way is not always the right way. And just questioning things doesn't mean that you're bad or you're wrong. Just, I think people need to be open-minded and have a dialogue, have a conversation, research. It's all good. (laughs) So I appreciate your work. Thank you, Lauren. Yeah. And uh, you're, you've been through so much and you've shared so much with so many of us and, um, where can people find you online so they can learn more about your work and your books? DrCircus.com. That's D-R-S-I-R-C-U-S.com. 
Perfect. Back to circus. Okay. okay. We'll put that on the show notes so people can find you too. Wow. Well, thank you for this conversation. <laughs> I'll be, I'll, I'll be looking into iodine. <laughs> look into chlorine dioxide. And that. Yes. And that. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. Look. I've had a lot of essays in the last two and a half months. You just go back a little time in the history every week. Yep. And that even shows like if you show change your mind again, it's okay to change your mind. Right. Oh, the first thing I, I, the first essay on chlorine dioxide was an apology. And I said, the best thing about admitting that you're wrong is you get to be right. There you go. So it was a joy. It was a joy. That's very cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you again so much. (laughs) Okay, Lauren. Have a good day. You too.